Well, good morning, my friends. Welcome to Redemption Church. Now, uh, before we get underway with our psalm of the day, I do have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Uh, The first, it's been a little while, so this is just a really helpful, friendly reminder, but um, in about three minutes, your Seattle Seahawks will be taking the field against the Detroit Lions, which means church is a cone of silence. When it comes to any score stuff, any updates, nobody says anything. We all are on our best behavior to say nothing because some people, such as myself, are recording this game and will be delayed a couple hours before I get to watch it. So, cone of silence. That is the first thing. All right. Second thing, I'm very excited about this one. In two weeks, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series, and it's all about those classic Sunday school stories you grew up learning about when you go into the little kid's wing of church. But we're going to do this in the unfiltered variation because a lot of those Sunday school stories we don't fully tell the kids everything because we don't want to scar them but I'm going to scar you. So it's going to be a great series, and we're going to look at just the classics, man. But even in doing that, we're going to see some things that maybe you're like, I've heard that story dozens of times. I didn't know some of that was in there. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be informative. I think there's going to be a lot of great lessons for us as we go through it as well. So that's going to be a great series starting in two weeks. That's going to be awesome. But today, today we are wrapping up our series in the Psalms, Dave's Playlist, these kind of emotional, um, kind of transparent, just evocative type of songs that we find in the Old Testament through the book of Psalms. And while today, originally, I was going to wrap up with Psalm 96, I took a pivot, right? You ever have one of those weeks where you're just like, man, you know, God has something different for you. You want to wrestle with some things from a different point of view. And so because of that, I I was really led to go to perhaps one of my all-time favorite psalms and and just kind of look at the first nine verses. So we're not even going to hit the whole thing. We're just going to look at nine verses of this psalm, but it's Psalm uh, 37. And Psalm 37 is all about facing the fears of life. Right? And, and I think this is very apropos because I think if there's anything that's true of our conditions in life, it seems nowadays in the modern world, it seems there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Now, I don't think that's because we live in the scariest time in all of human history. I don't think that's the case. But what I do think is that with the power of the press, then combined with all of kind of the destructive things that we can see on social media— Coupling that with the 24-7 kind of 24 hours a day, seven day a week news cycle that's always spilling out to us all the bad news globally. And then you take all of that bathed with the fears of the far left and the far right that are warning that the other side's going to destroy everything. With all of that, you go, man, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of grief or uncertainty or suspicion, just weariness in life. And thus, I think a psalm like Psalm 37 is exactly what the weary soul needs. And so right now, I'm going to go ahead and pray, get a setup for today. But as I do, I want to remind you we have an app. In the app, there are notes you can follow along with, fill in the blanks. That would be fantastic if you want to do that. Have all the text right there before you. And so right now, I'm just going to get to it. We're going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to have Jesus just really kind of walk us through this uh, really beautiful and encouraging passage as we go. Jesus, I thank you again for your tremendous faithfulness, for your grace, and for your love. And I pray today that as we're looking at this passage, that it will resonate in our heart and we will look at it from that perspective of the things that we want to avoid and the things we want to pursue. 
And so help us to use this in such a way that when the fears of life come up, when the stress or strain emerges, uh, we will look to you, we will remember these principles, and then we will put in place what it is you've given to us. And so we thank you for your tremendous love and concern and guidance, and we look to you to teach us today. We ask these things in your good and perfect name. Amen. So, facing fears. Um, I, I find in the process of this, as I kind of work it through in my own life, it, it kind of takes like two things happening at the same time. In one sense, what it takes is kind of consciously resisting the pressure of the present by setting your sight on the promises of the future. Right? Which is a very hard thing to do because I think that's the foundation of faith. Faith is this anticipation of this final payout where God says, well done, good and faithful child. You did it. You came through to the end. Awesome high fives all around. Like That's kind of what propels us forward. But that's a future focus. But sometimes in the present, it's really hard to have that orientation. So what you then have to do is kind of keep two ideas kind of before you all the time. One idea is to say, all right, I want to avoid then the things that are going to hang me up in life as I'm facing fears, and I want to instead pursue the things that are going to unlock faith in the midst of my fears. So both have to be in place. You want to pursue the to-dos and avoid the not-to-dos as you move toward the future, as you face the present with courage and an absence of fear. But that to do and not to do becomes really important. And when we're looking at Psalm 37, one of the reasons I love it so much is that it starts off kind of in that fundamental space. It lets us know, hey man, here's what you want to avoid, here's what you want to pursue, and then reminds us at the end again, here's what you want to avoid. And I think when it comes to this topic, it's really critical for all of us to kind of go, that's right, that's the space I'm going to live in. I'm going to make sure I avoid this and I pursue that. So what are the things to avoid and pursue? Well, we're going to start with the avoidance thing first. It's the first thing in your notes, which is when it comes to fear, don't set your focus on the problem. When it comes to fear, don't set your focus on the problem. Now, when I say that, what I'm not trying to imply is ignore problems. Pretend like they don't exist. Just deny them. Just shove your head straight into the sand and act like nothing is the matter. That's not exactly what I'm encouraging. But what I am encouraging is that we don't allow the problems to um, basically swallow or consume us because we're so staring at the issue that we can't look at anything else. We can't lift our eyes to the horizon because we're just looking at this hole right in front of us that's so difficult and frightening and just too, too big for the moment. Like that kind of thing. We don't want that to happen in our life. Now, I think where this is particularly hard is sometimes the big scary thing in your world is there because it's really a big scary thing. It's really a problem. You may really be a victim even in the face of some kind of injustice or wrongdoing. And yet in light of that, we see this wisdom emerge here in verse one of the psalm. It says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Now, before I kind of unpack the implications of this passage, I, I want to kind of highlight something here that I think is important, and that is to understand what this text means by the wicked or the wrongdoer. Maybe in set, set kind of in juxtaposition to the righteous. 
Because in our world, we tend to see somebody that is wicked and we go, man, they are the most cruel, the most heinous, the most terrible of persons in our society, right? That's typically what we kind of level the term wicked toward. But in the world of the Psalms, it's a little different. See, in their world, the wicked had a lot more to do with, they were the ones who take from their environment. They're the ones who are kind of the, the uh, grabbers and users for themselves more than they are those who try to bring good and beauty and benevolence to the world around them. In fact, Bruce Waltke said it this way, the wicked person is someone who disadvantages the community to advantage himself. In contrast, a righteous person is someone who disadvantages himself to build up the community. So kind of in the context here, soon we realize that the wicked in this sense are the ones that say, you know what, my success matters more than yours. And if the pursuit of my success means your grief, your loss, your woe in some way, hey, not my problem, that's your problem. So there's a certain level of me-firstedness in, in the whole concept of the wicked. My priorities over your priorities. My agenda over your agenda. That's the heart of it. That's the thing we have to kind of worry about here. And if I port this into our own world, I think about like the political power brokers who stoke division and they rally their base by just cursing the opposition. In other words, the primaries, you know? Like that kind of feel. Or it's the pundits who stir up strife and animosity so they can get clicks and views and revenue in some capacity. It might be the financial elites who maintain economic inequality for their own financial gain, or even the social watchdogs who cry and decry all of the wrongdoing of their opponents while they turn a blind eye to their own improprieties. Like, all of that is kind of the stuff that creates friction in our world. It creates the instability. It creates the worry. And yet, in light of that, what does the psalm then say? It said two things. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the wicked. And don't envy those who do wrong. And those two extremes are important, right? Because they are polar ends in some capacity. So the don't worry here, in the original Hebrew language, means to, to burn. Don't burn with anger or frustration, Right? At, the, at the people who are getting ahead through wicked means or with wicked agendas because you know what? It's going to eat you alive. Right? If you're constantly looking at how those people are doing it wrong and they're wrong people and they do wrong stuff and from that you're just angry and just sick and tired and bitter, the psalmist says, man, don't let yourself go down that road. Don't give that kind of power over your life to them because they'll ruin your life. See, I, I think this is the case why he says, you know, don't worry about the wicked, is because first, uh, it's a massive waste of time and energy, isn't it? If we're constantly seeing how everybody else is bad or wrong, or we're, we're worrying about the fact that these people who do wrong things are, are going to negatively impact my life, and we're so sucked in there, it just sucks away your life. It doesn't fix problems, it just fixates on problems. And when that happens in our life, it drains you as an individual, and it also just discourages everybody around you, right? Because it's always like the, the doom and gloom storyline. The other reason I think he warns about this is because it tends to contaminate us to where pretty soon we are willing to become the very thing we are angry about, 
we might start to give up our values, feeling like the real requirement is to fight fire with fire. Like they're getting away with it, so I should be able to do it too. They're cheating to get ahead, so I should be able to cheat to get ahead too, because if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Right? It's dog eat dog, it's kill or be killed, right? All of that's in there. I see injustice, so maybe I have to, to utilize injustice so I get my own, my own wishes and wants and outcomes in life. It's kind of that attitude, if you can't beat them, join them. Well, that's what the psalmist is concerned about. So, so he's, he's kind of watching out for both things, man. Don't envy them, right? Because now you're going to become like them. You're going to feel like you need to to compete. But also don't get angry about them because it's a real simple reality. For like the grass, they will soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they will soon wither. They'll look like all of our lawns right now in Seattle in September. Right? It's just gonna, it's gonna go away, man. It's gonna be nothing. So, he makes it really clear from the get-go. Gives us an initial marching order. Don't do this thing. Make sure at all costs you don't let yourself get sucked into the anger and the hatred and the bitterness because it will eat you up. Instead, the second thing, set your faith on God as the solution, right? Instead of focusing on the problem, he says, man, you got to set your faith on God as the solution. Now, when I say this, I, I'm not trying to promote some kind of health, wealth, and prosperity model as though, hey, man, if you just have faith in God, all your wildest dreams will come through, true. You'll get everything you've ever wanted. It's all going to just be rosy and sunshine and rainbows and bunnies and slippers and lollipops. It's not necessarily that. But it's saying when you set your sights on God, even if things are rough, he's going to carry you through. He's going to guide you along healthier paths. And so with that, then, how do we set our compass to move toward God's solutions? How do we set our compass to be truly set on God and his cares and his hearts? Well, I find in this section there are five solution-based practices that the psalmist kind of kind of spills out to us in just bite-sized form, just these quick little nuggets that I think can make a difference. And so I'm going to shoot these five out to you really quick this morning. The first, the first solution that we want to live in the context of is trusting and obeying God. So don't get angry, don't envy, but rather trust and obey. That's literally what it says in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. And when I read this, there's a part of me that tends to say, the way that I trust in the Lord is by doing good. Because sometimes, especially in the face of injustice or wickedness or whatever, and you're tempted to do the earthly thing, but he says, no, I want you to do the faith-filled thing. I want you to do the obedient thing. And to do that takes a great deal of trust. I'd rather sometimes do things in my own strength with my own wisdom and my own resolve because sometimes the way of Christ it just seems so ineffective, so inefficient to the way the world gets things done. But here, the psalmist is clear, right? When it comes to that tension and that pressure, when you feel like you want to take things in your own hands, just, just lean into ways that God has for you. Just lean into the things that God calls you to do, right? Even though it may seem like it doesn't really work in the modern world. In fact, I, I was struck by this. I was, it was probably about a year and a half ago or something like that, but I was listening to a speech by Donald Trump Jr. And he was talking about, Jesus said, uh, when it comes to your enemies, like, turn the other cheek. And he says, but that doesn't work anymore. 
we have to stand and fight. And I thought it was that example as I listened to it of somebody saying, yeah, the way of Jesus just doesn't work anymore. So we got to do the opposite of what he said. Now, I just want to say for the record, anytime you say, we need to do the opposite of what Jesus said, watch out, right? But I get the idea, right? Because to do real good as God prescribes, it does require that we say, God, I'm trusting you because this does not make a lot of sense. I'm trusting you because this is super uncomfortable and awkward. I'm trusting you that this route is the right route, even though in our world, everybody would say it's the wrong route. See, God calls us to uncomfortable spaces when it comes to resisting evil, wrongdoing, and wickedness in our world. In fact, Jesus speaks about the wicked and wrongdoers and our posture to them. He says this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. He says, but to you who are willing to listen, which right there I'm like, hopefully we're willing. He says, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. To do that takes faith and trust. All right, God, I believe your way is the right way. He goes on, he says, if you love those who love you, well, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners at a full return. No. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without having to have any expectation of repayment. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you'll be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And you must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. That is revolutionary. But boy, it takes faith. It takes trust. It takes hard-fought obedience to do stuff like that in the face of injustice and wickedness. But I think the, the essence of this is just reminding us that, you know what, when we do it this way, God says, I'm going to reward you. When you do it this way, I'm going to make sure that in the end, you know, you know, you did it right. And I even believe that in the context of this, when we lean into doing good and trusting God as we do good, that's the way we actually change the world. We change the world because we are acting like our Father, as Jesus says. We're acting as emissaries of his heart, even to the heartless in our lives. Now, nothing about this will ever be comfortable, but it is comforting to know that, you know what? He promises to reward. And he promises to use such willingness in the face of adversity. In fact, David said it a little bit differently. He says, then you will live safely in the land and you will prosper. See, for them, they had this idea of a covenant with God by which if they were obedient, God blessed them. If they were disobedient, God cursed them. And so if they lived obediently in their context, God would give them crops and security and safety and all of that. That was their context. In our context, there's no guarantee that our well-being will be met in life, but there is the guarantee that God will be with you, God will sustain you, God will 
fill you to the fullness with his spirit to empower you to move through life courageously, faithfully, and boldly, right? By doing the next right thing, even when you're tempted to maybe do the wrong thing, right? It starts in that space of that first solution. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust and do good. The second one is connected to this. It's the solution of delighting in God. Remember verse one? Don't focus, don't fear. Instead, verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires, right? And, and I love this because again, what you gotta understand about this particular passage is it's not saying uh, if you delight in God, he's gonna give you all of your wildest dreams, which is sometimes the way people read this. But, but what he's actually saying is, man, if you really stop to delight in God, not look at the problems, but delight in God, not worry about the foes, but really just say, I'm gonna celebrate my God for who he is, what he's done, how he provides, what he promises, what he promised us to fully fulfill in the kind of the eternal realm of all things. If you focus on that, what happens is God begins to rewire the desires of your heart. So he begins to put you in alignment with who he is. And so where there may have been fear and worry and bitterness, he pulls all of that out and he aligns us in such a way that what he is doing, we are calm with. The, the, the way that he is leading, we are grateful for. And then from that, we can take rest in him. That's what it means to really delight and see our heart's desires fulfilled. It's that he fortifies and he strengthens our faith. This disposition is then reinforced with the next thing, the solution of committing to God. Verse five, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make you, your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noon day. Here's what's cool about this word commit here. It has the idea of roll, which seems weird, like roll. But it means roll your stuff up on God, right? Like so many of us, when we have the fears of life, we tend to put it all on our back. It's like an anvil, a weight, this heaviness on our shoulders. And the psalmist is saying, yeah, just take all that and just roll that right up onto God. Matter of fact, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's like, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And what are we supposed to commit? What do we roll up on God? Well, he says here, everything, everything. So your spouse, or if you're single, your singleness, or if you have a partner, your partner, or your kids, your home, your job, your health, your very life, right? Our culture, our nation, whatever it is, man, roll it all up on God, right? Because we know he cares for us, and we know that he will vindicate this in the end. Maybe this then requires the next thing. This one's tough. It's the solution of waiting on God. That one's hard, right? Verse 7, be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. We've talked about this elsewhere in the series. This one's hard because of the culture we live in, right? We have microwaves and instant information and instant communication. And we don't do well to just sit and wait. We're reactive, it's not even instinctual to sit and wait. We have fight or flight, right? But, but here, this is so good because when you sit still for God, when you sit still to hear from him or to wait on him to act, man, there's something otherworldly that happens in that space, right? If you really are, 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 are dedicated to the process, 
God isn't going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you out to dry. No, he's going to step in. And he's going to soothe the worry and the anxiety and the frustration, the fear, the doom, the gloom, the dread. But what this really requires then is then the fifth thing, the final solution, which is relinquishing to God. Relinquishing. And this is where he just comes right back around and he reminds us stuff that he said at the beginning. First, he says, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about the wicked and their schemes. Don't try to out-scheme the schemers. That's not going to serve you well. He says, also, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. It's going to be more of a problem for you than a solution. It's going to be more of a burden for the people around you than anything else. When, when I'm kind of curmudgeon and frustrated and angry, the whole family feels it. There's nothing about it that's healthy. It's not the space I want to be in. It's not the space the psalmist wants us in as well. Instead, he reminds that the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Possessing the land for them was a euphemism for security and contentedness. And so it's kind of that reminder that, you know what, the way of the wicked leads to ruin, but the way of the righteous, it leads to rest. It leads to security. It leads to a sense of peace, even in the midst of the storms of life. And see, for me, in choosing this psalm for this week, it was like I just needed to be reminded of that truth, right? With all of the crazy of life, all of the challenges of life, all of the heartbreaks of life, right? That instead of getting focused on that stuff, I want to be fueled in my faith toward God's stuff. Because when I do, man, life is better that way. And when I do, Jesus is more elevated in that way. And when I do, it's a testimony to the world that, hey, life is truly better with Jesus. Not always easy, not always fun, not always simple, but boy, it's way better when you do it his way with his power for his purposes. Right now, I'm gonna encourage all of you just to bow your heads right now. And as you do, uh, I wanna give an encouragement first to anybody that might be watching online or anybody who's in the room and... Uh, you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't necessarily follow Jesus, but I'm intrigued. I want to follow Jesus. I, I, I want to know what this life is all about, this life with Christ. If that's you and you're sensing that pull, for you it's a prayer that, that, that is really the, the, the catalyst to everything. It changes everything. Where this prayer for you would be pretty simple. Jesus I've been going my own way. I've been sinning against you. I've been sinning against others. I've been sinning against myself. And I confess, I confess my sin to you. I'm asking you to forgive me and step into my life. I know you gave your life to give me life. I want that life with you, Jesus. Right? Move me from death to life and life abundant in you. If you make that your prayer in your way, we would love to know about that. When you open your eyes, you'll see a phone number on the screen. Or if you have our app, you can go on there and there's a tile that you can press and it'll let us know, hey, I, I decided to follow Jesus. We'd love to know that. Or I'm gonna be out here in the front. Grab me afterward. That'd be wonderful. I'd love to hear that from you. For the rest of us, I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to face the fears of life, that you will help us to be strong in you, to trust and obey in all things to not get wrapped up in the stuff that can make us angry, but rather to get 
really just focused on you because you are the very meaning of abundance for life. And so, Jesus, we thank you so much. We praise you so much. And we want you to just really rule and reign over our lives. And so we look to you to do that. We thank you in your good and perfect name. Amen.